0: You're listening to the Transport for the North podcast. Welcome to the Transport for the North podcast. I am your host Gemma and today's episode we are going to be revisiting our latest TFN Talks webinar. You may remember that we launched this webinar series last summer to help bring together um, northern leaders, industry experts to talk about all sorts of transport matters and everything going on in the world of transport and beyond. So we held a few of these um, over the summer and uh, very excitingly, they are back for 2021, still virtually, of course, such as the uh, the new normal that we are very much living in at the moment. So um, let me just tell you a little bit about the, uh, the recent TFN talk session. So it was all about freight. Uh, Northern Freight and Logistics Decarbonisation and Innovation. It was chaired by Nicholas Helen, who is the Transport Editor at the Sunday Times. And our panellists were Councillor Stuart Swinburne, who is the TFN member for North East Lincolnshire, Elizabeth DeYoung, who is Policy Director at Logistics UK. Maggie Simpson, Director General of the Rail Freight Group, and our very own Lucy Hudson, who is principal policy officer uh, for freight and logistics here at Transport for the North. So they came together to talk everything freight. So east-west connectivity, uh, the need for major projects such as Northern Powerhouse Rail, how we can go about getting freight off the congested roads and onto the rail network, but doing that in a way that doesn't uh, mean that we just make the rail network more congested, uh, like I say, as well as the massive issues uh, of decarbonisation and innovation as well and doing things that are new and different and exciting and really going to drive forward our freight and logistics industry that's enough of me uh telling you what they talked about let's just go ahead and hear from the tfn talks panel themselves
1: good afternoon and welcome to this edition of tfn talks northern freight logistics the broad brush heading of what we're here to discuss this afternoon is decarbonisation and innovation which translates into quite concrete questions in a week when we're expecting to hear the results of the um, union review Peter Hendy. Uh, It's a good question, it's a good time to um, find out what's actually happened in the seven years since George Osborne talked about the northern powerhouse. My name's Nicholas Helen, I work for the Sunday Times, I'm transport editor there. As I've already said to your panellists, I probably claim to be the most northern of the lot of you. I was brought up within walking distance of George Stevenson's cottage in Wylam and for those of you who are um, for whom that doesn't mean much, He's the, um, he's the guy who basically invented railways in Britain and actually very topically for today created a, uh, a line from Liverpool to Manchester back in 1830. So um, back in those days, as we all know, the North was ahead. Um, the, the premise of TFN is that there's some catching up to do. So that's what our panellists are going to tell us about today, starting with Stuart Swinburne who's both a board member of the TFN, uh, covers the uh, northeast Lincolnshire area, which um, of course includes Britain's greatest uh, cont- or greatest container and other port, Immingham. So the floor is yours, Stuart.
2: Oh, thank you very much, uh, Nicholas. It's, uh, it's nice to be here this afternoon and obviously my name is Stuart Swim and I'm a, a northeast Lincolnshire Cabinet Member um, for Highways and Transport. And so obviously my concerns are around about the freight and basically round about you know, the future rail improvements. We do have, Imingham is in, uh, in known to be um, the largest in import and export of goods, not largest in, in size as a port, but we are largest by names of import and export of goods. We still hold the tonnage record in Imingham, and, uh, which we're very, very proud of. So there's a lot of concern about you know the actual rail improvements and how HS2, for instance, will impact on us. Um, We need up to HS2 to talk about and release the capacity to be used for transport freight. So it's a a big thing for us at the moment, and we're always looking at the decarbonisation side of things. Um, Now we've been uh, just announced uh, just recently, I mean, the last few days about Immingham um, and the Humber receiving the Freeport status. So obviously that is going to be a big concern for us. If we haven't got the infrastructure in place, um, then it needs to be looked at and hoping that TFN will take on our concerns about making sure that the infrastructure is there for when we take on this uh, massive role.
1: Thank you very much. So um, we'll we'll move now to Maggie Simpson, who's Director General of the Rail Freight uh, Group, um, which which basically speaks, as as the name suggests, for all of rail freight across the UK. So over to you.
3: Thank you very much. And a pleasure to be here today as always. So as Stuart's indicated last week, we saw the announcement of, of eight free port zones of those are directly in the Transport for the North Area, Liverpool City Region, uh, Tees and Humber, and uh, of the other five, uh, almost all of them have strong trade links to and from the north of England, serving importers and exporters across the region. And it's an indication of just how critical the north of England is for freight logistics transportation. I I looked it up that around a quarter of all UK households are in the north of England, that's a heck of a lot of consumers. Uh, if, like me, you've uh, your online shopping habits have boomed in the last year, uh, then uh, you'll be looking for warehousing, on-time delivery, fleet-footed quick and sustainable logistics to get those products to you. And that's before we add in the needs of businesses as well. So it's absolutely imperative that the north of England's got the right infrastructure for freight, and that it's got the right low carbon, sustainable infrastructure for freight. And frankly, uh, as Stuart's indicated right now today, it, it just doesn't have that in the way that we need it. And it's frankly time it changed. If we're gonna unlock those government ambitions, whether that's for freeport rebalancing or economic growth. Uh, we know that using rail freight today is, is low carbon. It makes 76% to use the stat less carbon uh, than using road freight today. Uh, and I know we're all chasing net zero 2050, but as a colleague reminded me the other day, a tonne of carbon that you've saved today is 29 tons saved by 2050. We kind of got to get on with this now, not waiting for a miracle to happen in a decade or two's time. And that means we need to be pushing forward with modal shift today. And we need to be for, pushing forward today with short-term plans for decarbonizing uh, rail freight, and indeed road freight and other parts of the transport infrastructure. Whilst this is going on, we've got members chasing growth. I mean, just some things that have been happening recently, the trial for Kraft Heinz on using rail freight uh, to deliver into their factory. We've got a boom in construction materials coming out the peak quarries, busiest ever March. Uh, Last year, second busiest March coming up, busiest ever December. This is supporting HS2 construction at Birmingham, but it's supporting infrastructure across the country. Uh, We've got 775 metre, three quarters of a kilometre, half a mile, if you want to use that, long trains uh, running now into Manchester to get you an idea of the scale. For Southerners, it's the distance from Euston to King's Cross. For Northerners, it's the distance from Manchester Piccadilly to Manchester Oxford Road. That's how long one of those trains are. So those things are all happening, despite the fact that the infrastructure isn't there. But what do we need to do then to support more, support modal shift? First of all, we've got to sort out the Transpennine upgrade. We still don't have confirmation, despite the money going into that scheme, that there'll be capacity or capability for freight in there. We've been chasing this now for half a decade and it's time we got those plans confirmed to get a pass for freight across the Pennines. Secondly, if if we've got schemes which are taking obviously time to work through, can we rebalance how we use the network in the meantime? Uh, We all want to see passengers come back to rail If they take their time coming back, can we use that capacity now to run a bit more freight? In the meantime, can we run that freight a bit more efficiently than we do? And then what about electrification? We don't have enough power supply on the East Coast Main Line for freight to run with electric traction, even though we could, we've got the locomotives to do it. Uh, We need to link into some of the ports that are close to, but not on the electrified network with some infill electrification. And we need schemes like the Hope Valley Upgrade to properly take account of freight in a way that they're not doing at the moment. And then of course, looking further out, HS2 and Northern Powerhouse Rail uh, need to be progressed and need to have the right answer for freight as well. So there's a huge opportunity out there, opportunity for rail to help decarbonisation. It's not the only part of that story, huge opportunity uh, to unlock free ports, to unlock the potential. And we can do that with the private sector investing and the right balance of capacity on the network. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much. And um, we'll now move to Elizabeth De Jong, who we um, has had quite a high presence recently because of Brexit, working um, representing the voice of uh, Logistics UK.
4: It's great to be able to discuss challenges and opportunities, in the sector decarbonisation and innovation as well today. So decarbonisation industry a big challenge, but it's one our members are tackling head on. There's still though a need to identify the necessary steps to enable industry to achieve this as efficiently as possible. For the purposes of today's session, there's three areas linked to decarbonisation, which there may be an opportunity for us to look at in more detail later. The first is reducing carbon by reducing congestion. So congestion is one of the biggest contributors to pollution, whether it's caused by queuing traffic within our city centres or holds up on our major truck roads networks, by both improving existing infrastructure and investing in new infrastructure, we can reduce congestion, therefore reduce pollution. Uh, Logistics UK, as you'd expect, is very supportive of transport for the North strategic transport plans over the seven Corridors which focus on infrastructure improvements across all modes. But also our response to the union connectivity review, we think is going to be out this week, highlighted the importance of within country infrastructure in helping uh, bring the region, the nations together, including TransPennine Road and Rail proposals there. The second decarbonisation is important, uh, modal shifts important to decarbonisation. Um, another way to reduce congestion is to have less trucks on the road. That's why modal shift is important. And we need to continue to insist that rail is made a viable alternative to road transport. Um, rail freight has the potential for strong growth. It's constrained by lack of capacity, high speed, two, northern rail powerhouse rail, transboundary route upgrades, and electrification, all vital for modal shift. And the third area for us which is important and linked to decarbonisation is rethinking our approach to larger vehicles. Big can be good. Larger mode of transport should not be demonised in our quest for low carbon transport, they are in fact key to it. So as well as moving large loads by train, it should be possible to allow larger or longer trailers to operate on our roads where they do not directly compete with rail, and this in turn would reduce the overall number of vehicles moving at any one time, again reducing pollution. Our discussions about innovation are are timely, as last week at Logistics UK we held the first meeting of our innovation group, which is an area for dialogue between industry, government and developers to help ensure that externally funded innovations are business case led rather than tech led. That was our concern and there's many areas of innovation within freight and logistics, all sorts of very exciting opportunities with technology, but uh, one we could discuss today was free ports. That is an area uh, for opportunity for regional rejuvenation and to be innovative. Uh, we don't quite know what they are, and um, that is the in, almost the innovative part of it as well. Uh, and obviously we've got Liverpool, Humber and Teesside. Second area for innovation, which is very important for our industry, is connected and autonomous vehicles. They're going to be part of the future. We can see elements of those already be adopted. However, it's so important that those are introduced by industry for industry and there's a business case led argument that they're required. If if not, the investment in them just could be lost as well. And finally, linking both innovation and decarbonisation. Alternative fuels will be an innovation and they're clearly needed by industry for decarbonisation. However, at the moment, there's confusion and uncertainty about which horse to back. Electricity is going to be the solution for lighter vehicles in the fleet, but there's a lot less certainty around what will replace diesel for the heavy fleet. And the longer we take to make these decisions, the more inefficient, costly, and risky our path to zero will be.
1: Thank you very much. Um, Now now we move on to Lucy Hudson, who's a principal policy officer, at TFN and gave me a fascinating crash course in all this last week um over to you lucy and then we'll we'll fire all the difficult questions at you because you've got an amazing grasp of it all thank you
5: (laughs) thank you very much um so because I, I'm I'm sort of following on from three really sort of detailed discussions I'm going to um, describe what Transport for the North is doing in the space of firstly decarbonisation and then freight and logistics in terms of the strategies that we're working on um, and then I've been ticking off a lot of things that I was going to say but because they've already been covered by the panel so that's really good um, and hopefully it means I will be quieter sooner which is good and we can have time to go into the questions. So the first point to make is because we're focusing on the decarbonisation agenda, we have um, a decarbonisation strategy going to our board um, in March, um, and that is alongside the freight and logistics strategy that I'm working on as well. So there are two really, really big and key areas of work for TFN. Our um, our role is to provide um, statutory advice, the Secretary of State on the transport investments that are needed and to do that we need very detailed um, analysis and, strateg- and, and an agreement across the North of that strategic direction that we need to take and that's, that's the sort of key role that the strategies we're developing will enable us to, to do and to deliver on behalf of the North. So then, what's the freight and logistics strategy? It's going to be a vehicle to showcase the North freight and logistics assets. It's going to show you uh, where we need the investment, why we need the investment. Um, there's, we've done some very um, snazzy modelling on um, on. Demand suppression, so where freight trains have to wait um, in sidings, where you could get two freight trains through in that gap. Um, what does that mean for what does that mean for the network? And that's not really been done before. I know other colleagues now from other sub-national transport bodies um, are also using that methodology that we've developed, uh, which is really good and really strong. Network Rail like it because it's not been used. Um, in that way before. So that's that's a really good, strong sort of foundation by which we can make the argument for increased investment in um, especially the rail freight networks. So the strategy is not going to be all these new ideas. We've made sure that we've done a very careful uh, and considered uh, review of all the existing strategies that have been published by partners, by, um, by us, by um, by. By Rail Freight Group, Logistics UK, other people, and other authorities, we've we've looked at that and then said, right, okay, well, where have we identified the gaps? What were they? Are they still relevant? And does the modelling match up with that? So we're not we're not reinventing the wheel. We're not saying this is completely new. We're saying these things are still a problem, um, and we need to deal with them. So the the three things that are kind of the big things within the within the strategy are modal shift, decarbonisation, and then we we took we took touch on freeports. ports.
1: Thank you. Now, it might be one for Maggie, it might be one for Elizabeth. Just to say, what timetable do you expect to see for the the big projects that you all all want answers on? uh, HS2, Trans-Pennine Route Upgrade and of course the the whole Northern Northern Powerhouse Rail project. You've got three massively expensive schemes there. And what I'm not really getting is any sense of the time frame and what it is to serve. So we've, men- we've had mention of freeports. I'm not really picking up anything on which of those freeports are currently inadequately served, nor am I really hearing what the timetable is.
3: I'll have to have a go and then others can come in. In terms of which freeport hasn't got the right capability for mm-hmm. transporting freight in and out, the answer is all of them. From a rail point yeah. of view, none of the free ports uh, in the north of England have got the right rail connectivity at the moment. Some are better than others, but overall they don't. And if I cast that net wider, even looking at some of the other ones uh, further south, uh, there are challenges on those routes as well. Uh, but there are there isn't that connectivity in terms of timescales. The Trans route upgrade is so important because it is first. That development work is. Is, is active, it is going for funding now, mm. and the plans to date haven't properly dealt with freight. And that scheme is one that's going to be you know, on the ground later this year and beyond actually doing physical work. So we need to make sure we've got the right answer from that quickly. Now Northern Powerhouse Rail, HS2 are no less important, but their delivery timeframes are, are, are much further out. Mm. Post-passenger recovery, a post-TRU, we need to plan them right now because this is, you know, the, the railways are going to see increasing demand from passengers and freight as you know, as the economy recovers and decarbonisation progresses. But for me, it's about what are the short-term things we've got to be doing this year, next year, the year after, as well as the plans which take us down a longer-term project profile in 20, 10 to 20 years' time.
1: I've got a detailed question for Maggie, which which is kind of relevant on that. We just have to try and duck and dive between the large and the smaller. We've got a question from uh, a Tony Plum, which says to all panelists, saying that the uh, the, freight, the planned freight train provision on on the Trans Pennine is only the existing 11 trains per hour. Basically, yeah. who's who's putting up the argument that that isn't sufficient to network rail and DFT? Do you do you agree that what's the t- tell us what the issue is there?
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. We are putting the pressure on, and we have been for half a decade now. I've got uh, members of my team who are f- you know working every hour they work for me on this topic. We're in the working groups. We've been lobbying uh, at, at every level, and and Lucy's nodding because she hears from us. Uh, if not weekly, then you know, then certainly fortnightly on the topic. And, you know, we've been making real progress, but we still don't have that commitment. To having an hourly pass for freight uh, with the right gauge for for the containers that Stuart mentioned coming into ports like Immingham, Teesport, and Liverpool across the, the Pennine and into those conurbations, and that's what we need.
5: Yeah, I think well, from a what's, different... what's the cost
1: implication of that though? What do you, what extra capacity are you looking for, and what's the cost, please? I any one of you?
3: So so it, it depends what you assume about some other things, and that's why it's a complicated question. So, is. Uh, yeah without wanting to get into the tumbleweed of this you know to what's what's that interface between northern powerhouse and trans pennine are you going to do some work at the same time Uh, there's also a question I think about uh, how we use the capacity now so is the passenger railway going to build back to where it was in five years two years seven years and could we run some freight not in the peak perhaps but in the off-peak now using some of that capacity because that changes matters it is a, there are some small bits of infrastructure that you might want to add if you're going to run more freight and more passenger. You might actually want to add some of that to get a reliable passenger service anyway. And there are two only tunnels where you might have to do some physical work to allow a container through. Yeah, Can I
2: just come in on that a bit? Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, we keep on about it, and Maggie keeps emphasising it quite rightly so, about you know, the, the, the infrastructure that is needed for a lot of these products. And we've talked about the Freeport side of things, but if we are wanting to make sure that the Freeport's you know fertile to their full potential, then we have to get this in, even on the, smi- the minor roads. I mean, whilst in North East Lincolnshire we have the ports uh, are served very well by the M180 motorway, but it is the, uh, the, the whole n- road network that we're looking at, including the last mile of any journey and the vital connections with that economic activity. That can only make a difference, actually, to whether the goods arrive on time. So we're looking, obviously, we have got the support of, um, of Transport for the North on our ambitions, if you like, for what we're talking, our great Grimsby Western Relief Road which is going to be favourable, and that's going to give us that extra capacity to actually fulfil the ambitions ambassion, for, you know, the whole of the, the Freeport status. We've got to make sure that the infrastructure is there, not on the major roads as well, but also on the minor roads that's affecting all of our lives. And it's it's a very important their point.
1: You, do you want to say something, Elizabeth, or not, or can I...?
4: Well, I was just thinking, it's almost the stars are aligned at the moment, so we have our free ports initiative, we have our uh, desire for improved connectivity, so Britain is really uncompetitive, we're about 29th in the world in terms of connectivity uh, in our infrastructure according to the, the world, world, world Bank um, for, for road, and I, I, I think it's made, uh, around the same for rail as well. Um, we are wanting to in- increase our competitiveness after Brexit. We've also got um, issues with the franchising system at the moment, given the huge drop off in demand after Covid. This is a time where everything is open uh, for something substantial in terms of uh, investment for projects that have been in years of development and discussion. Um, and we should. This is the year for pressing um, to get to get things delivered and get commitments.
5: Can I just come in as well? I think, from a TFM perspective, we've all, we've repeatedly said and we've repeatedly supported the arguments that Maggie's made and Elizabeth have made and Councillor Swinburne, on behalf of Northeast Links, has made about <clears throat> um, the TransPennine Route Upgrade being a very very key part of the north part of the Northern infrastructure. When you look at the um, Northern Powerhouse Rail developments, um, they're key to not only to speeding up journeys across the north if we deliver the new lines but there are also that release capacity where that is available and it will offer enhancements for the freight industry as well now you've got to be careful and make sure that the access points are where where um where the where the trains join and then leave the classic network we need to make sure those pinch points are still uh, free-flowing and that's part of the um research that we're doing at the moment to, to double check what's going on on the network when you think that the um in 2008 the West Coast upgrade was absolutely scuppered because um, the people looking at the project hadn't fully considered the needs of the freight industry. Um, we need to definitely make sure that the research that we do and the analysis that we do, um, in the, both from a technical perspective and people looking at train plans and maps and goodness knows what, to liaising with the industry as well to make sure that everything is is taken account of, so we don't fall foul um, of that mistake as well. So that's something that's really sort of pertinent in my mind and TFN's mind as well to make sure that the, the what our plans um, are really solid and strong um, and can benefit both passengers and, fre- and freight um, at the same time.
1: Thank you. Now, I've got a whole load of questions which are brewing up about essentially asking to make the argument between investment in rail versus road. I should also say to the um, the, the moderators, I've had a, I can see a couple of grumbles saying. Can you make the questions visible to everybody so there isn't duplication? So that I don't know if that can be done at all or not. But essentially, the question uh, I'd, I'd probably best batch them together because otherwise we're, we're going to get a bit lost here. But uh, essentially, you know, here's here's one for instance: Drew the Elder, Climate Change Committee, in the sixth column budget says talking about modal shift of freight rail. It could aid decarbonisation of the freight sector. In the longer term, we expect zero emissions HEVs, And so then the question is, what what assistance will we give to HGV hauliers to move over to hydrogen and e HGV? There's one. The I must say, from from the stuff I from the stuff I hear, um, the in the in the pure rail industry, there's lots of talk about the way they seem to be losing the argument because. You've actually got new lines like East West Railway, which which are not even going to be electrified. Um, there's another one in that sort of area, which is um, um, here white paper, same person white paper published in 2020 on e-highways, estimated a budget. Sorry, is this is uh, this is basically uh, lobbying lobbying for. Um, uh, it says uh, a, a test section on the M58, but there's this there's also talk here of the relative costs of HS2. Versus versus road Whoever feels their best place to say that. How how is the argument shifting between road and rail at the moment, whether on decarbonisation or simply on volumes? You've got. I know there are many strands to come in here. Who wants to fire a first? Elizabeth, perhaps? Yeah.
4: Yeah. So we're a multimodal um, trade organisation. So we have work in we have working councils in in rail, in air, in water. Uh, and then in road, um, there are more members for road because road has uh, more journeys uh, and so on in terms of our, our breakdown. But we often have these discussions, and in fact, the conflict is is very little indeed because we want an optimized system. So it's not about fighting at the edges; it's about making sure. Each mode has a particular function and uh, I uh, there'll be a minister from a little while ago who Maggie may smile when they remember and all they talked about was moving lobsters from Cornwall by freight trains and each mode really needs to be to be optimised and do what it does well. And we don't need to be constraining. There's going to be new modes all the time. We've got our e-cargo bikes, we've got drones, we've got big drones, we've got small drones. And just to think in in terms of what a particular mode does will constrain us from reaching a a point of of better efficiency. So I don't think we need to be having those trade-offs. We can come together with our business cases, the valuation of freight versus passengers versus road versus... That's why we have uh, economic cost-benefit systems. We should be able to have rational discussions uh, about those and seek to optimise all.
3: I think, well, we have to remember it's a private sector business here. So, you know, I get really frustrated when, when I hear these arguments that say, okay, well, you know, come on, Freight, do all the heavy lifting now because you're low carbon. But would you mind very much closing your businesses down in 30 years because all the trucks will be battery by then? You know, we're not going to support investing in you now because we don't want you in the long term. You know, you can't get people to invest in a business if there isn't a long term proposition for it. And ultimately, this comes down to government choices about where it spends its money. And, and you're right that at the moment, the strategy, I think, for decarbonisation is... Uh, We want to decarbonise the economy, but we don't actually want to spend any money on it. And that's what we get all the time. I think that pushback and and that has to change because if, for example, we could power up a battery HGV to replace the entire HGV fleet for 2050. And I think, as Elizabeth alludes to, there's lots of questions about all of this. Then government still has to invest in charging networks and it probably has to invest in the grid in a different way. And it might have to put overhead wires on the motorway network, because that's some of the current thinking about road decarbonisation. So there isn't, I don't think, a free good. What we've got to do is try and work out the most energy efficient and quick acting way of leveraging that decarbonisation. And that has to be about every mode doing something there isn't going to be a let's switch off one mode and use another mode solution to this. We've all got to work together to do the most efficient thing. If you want to move 100 miles with 50 containers and do it electrically, use a train. If you want to go use an e-cargo van into a city centre, make it battery. If you, you, know, you want to put a lobster on a train, <laughs> even do it, but it, 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 there isn't a single mode solution to this.
2: Um,
1: Thank you, One thing you said, um the government wants to decarbonise, but doesn't want to spend the money. Um, just spell that out, if you would, because in the area of um, the, mo- the the motor the car business, we've had a couple of very big things. One of which is the announcement that we're not going to have pure ICE uh, motors being sold beyond twenty thirty, which is only what eight years nine months away. And also, from Monday, we're going to have clear clean air zones affecting about eight to 10 million people by the end of the year, who will be paying simply to travel around towns and cities if, if their car is from before a particular date. So are you, are you saying that that decision simply being ducked for the railways and what would be the equivalent for the so, ones which we've seen in the motor trade, which have had massive effects, which is why Tesla is the most valuable car company in the world.
3: Yes, so so there's a question about incentives, and it is entirely sensible to use incentives to cause people to change what they do in the situation where the thing that you wish them to do is doable in the time frame that the incentive applies. So that's cool. If there's something out there which is available or close to technology available and you want to use an incentive to drive it over the edge into viability, those financial tipping points are great. So today, you could, you you know, if we want to use electric on the network or diesel on the network, it's the same access charge. So so as you might say, well, you could do something around the margins on that. But actually, if you're in a situation where the technology simply doesn't exist, you can't incentivize the laws of physics. That's what we're about here. The laws of physics say that the amount of battery or hydrogen you need to move a freight train that is half a mile long simply doesn't exist in the scale that you can build it and it's the same with hgv you know there are prototype battery hgvs but the laws of physics mean that you're carrying more payload in batteries than you're carrying in goods it's not you know it's not yet the point so so at some point you'll reach a technological state where those incentives work and you can set that deadline but if if it doesn't exist you can't do that
2: i've got no can i just have a couple of points on that if you don't mind Nicholas. Um, I think it's absolutely right what Maggie's been saying and what Elizabeth's saying. I fully agree with them. Um, but I think you've got to support, you know, especially where we are uh, in the Port of Immingham. I think we've got to support both rail and, and uh, um, road for, for the sort of thing that we're talking about. I think we all know really, uh, uh, Nicholas, what the national targets are for decarbonisation. And I'm sure that those targets will be taken an advantage of what northeast Lincolnshire has to offer when it actually comes to the success of the offshore wind industry the maintenance side of things very very big things happening down here in the in northeast Lincolnshire with those particular ports we've got the training facilities now with the catch development very big for us and the capacity for power generation um, for freight vehicles and we're talking about freight now we've got to get towards these decarbonisation targets and the infrastructure and we add locally actually uh, developing infrastructure to charge electric vehicles through our local transport plan. So, yeah, we are working very well towards that, and it's a big thing that we've got to do. But it all links, doesn't it? It links to what we've been talking about before, infrastructure. You've got to have that infrastructure in place to help you to, you know, move forward. And, and that's a big thing, but we have got the availability. We've got the, the means of doing it. So we've got to, you know, unite and work together for it.
5: Yeah. Okay. Can I just come in as well? I think from from a TFM perspective and also from other subnational transport bodies that are active. Um, part of this part of what we do is generate evidence and work out sort of what what the what patterns are being observed around journeys and stuff. So um, other um, STBs are looking at sort of the van journey patterns, So where you have a concentration of vans in one area doing shorter journeys they're probably going to be doing deliveries and then you could have other vans doing things like longer journeys that are say two or three miles long and then they stop because they're plumbers or they're electricians or they're doing a bigger bigger job in a different place. Mm -hmm. So there's um, some emerging work on mapping those the shorter journeys and the longer journeys to make to see where to see where those hot spots are so you can plan the you can plan the recharge and infrastructure um, and you can kind of identify where those places need to be so so like in I know in in Grimsby there's, there's charging points in the town centre so in other places there can be you can place the points and um, where where those where those um, vehicles and those points are needed um, so I think it's it's not only is it getting the the policy right so the, when Maggie talks about making sure that those and Elizabeth talk about the certainty around from government what what which horse are we actually going to back here what's what infrastructure do we need but there's also a, a role for to making sure that analysis reflects um, what what is needed.
1: <laughs> so we've got a nice concrete question here from It's to do with um, distribution warehouses, Amazon and the rest. We at Northumbria University been doing some spatial modeling. The long and the short of it is they reckon, they've discovered that as well as the so-called golden triangle of East and West Midlands, there's a Northern dumbbell emerging. And it says, operates uh, pursuing a a dual hub model. And, the Northern Dumbbell—I don't know if that'll catch on, but we'll see—can reach as large a proportion of the GB population as the Golden Triangle. Are, you aware, are any of you aware of this, and is it factored in to the TFN freight and distribution strategy? So, what's the answer to that?
5: Um, I've heard—I've heard this sort of pattern of what—that—that—that. Um, that, uh, that, um, question describes and use many different um, and very different names for it um yeah. but i think overall um when you look at the if you go back to the um, enhanced freight and six analysis that we published as part of the evidence base that gen- that fed into our strategic transport plan we definitely looked at the um the, the patterns of um, imports and exports and where and that where the where, where volume larger volumes um of goods started there so the origin originated so started and then and um, got to their destinations so i think yes we do we have considered that but i think the part the the, the interesting bit is to make sure um that not only do we know the patterns of trade and the, and the where the volumes go but it's making it, it's where, where those gaps so where the gaps are as well so if you think there's um you need additional capacity to, to join those, to join those um, areas up, then we have to make sure the pla- that's in the plan as well. And that's part of what we're doing um, with the existing work, um, work alongside Atkins. They're looking at um, the impact of the infrastructure that is being planned, but also that we've already got, so we can make sure those corridors um, are as efficient and as effective as possible, and those are reliable, so you can make sure that, that all those connections um, are stable um, and we don't affect them going into the future.
1: I'd love to know where this dumbbell was, by the way, if the person who submitted that, it'd be great to have some actual locations. So either side of the Pennines along the M62 axis. Um, but can you give some pointers? You're talking about fr- maybe freeing up one train an hour or whatever it might be for freight. Are, we to- are you talking about something like that? Are you talking about the big, you know, the big uh, warehouse distribution hubs? What type of business, What 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 is actually going to be what type of freight are we talking about here?
3: So th- there are different sorts of freight. So the, the real suppressed demand at the moment from Teesport and Immingham is for container traffic and that needs to go into a suitable terminal. At the moment, that is Trafford Park in Manchester or Widnes, or Garston at Liverpool, but there are others which are at the planning stage, um, at, at, you know, developers looking at additional sites for that kind of traffic. And what we have seen in the Midlands is that if you put the warehousing on a site that has got a railhead and, and the obvious one in the TFM world is Iport at Doncaster. If you put warehousing on a site with a railhead that gives those occupiers the opportunity to use rail. And if you put that warehousing on the site that doesn't, well, then they can't. And so that's how we have you know, a dozen trains a day coming out from Daventry and phase three being built there. As we speak, we have six or seven trains a day into Iport at Doncaster. We have, you know, a dozen trains a day still going into Trafford Park. So not not all rail, not all warehousing can be rail connected, but where it is, it's working.
1: So when I see massive new warehouses being constructed along the motorway at Doncaster, for instance, should I be should I be worried about that or is there actually no alternative? Is that a short-sighted decision, in short? Well, or could it be picked up by rail?
3: Look, I mean, rail today uh, takes 10% of surface transport, and, you know, yeah. if, if we pedal really hard, we'll get into the teens and maybe up to 20 but there's still going to be a lot of road-based distribution. Mm. And not all warehouses are the same. Some are doing a very local hinterland of distribution. Some are a national distribution centre. Some are a regional big hub. But if you've got... If you want rail to work, you need scale. So you need people to be putting their goods onto a train to make the train full. That works where you put those warehouses on a railing site. So where we can do that, it's great. Obviously there'll be places where that isn't possible, but uh, having some more railing warehousing across the north of England is going to be really important, I think.
1: Okay, thank you. Just just so that the, um, the, the people have had their, ch- their shout, there, there's a comment here basically saying, which is aimed, I think Elizabeth's saying, essentially getting big trucks into city centres doesn't mix well with active travel, which is being prioritised. I don't know if you want to pop back on that, for, um, and I'll just mention a couple of other things before we have to wrap up. What do you say to that?
4: Um, so yes, there's clearly issues with large um, HGVs and cyclists, and we are very, very committed to road safety. What I don't want to happen is we start banning the large trucks and replacing them by lots and lots of vans or lots and lots of smaller mode transports, which in fact uh, end up in totality um, being less space, uh, taking up less space, or causing more congestion. So we do have to think very carefully, particularly a well-loaded lorry.
1: Um, times flown, so rushing towards the end. Where it's it's now spring 21. We know what's going to happen in the south. We know when HS2 is due in Birmingham. Can you please tell me which of the big projects that we've all heard about will actually be will have been built by 2030. So 200 years after the thing I started with, which is Liverpool Manchester Railway. Which of the new projects will have been built, Stuart Swinburne? Please.
2: Yeah, uh, th- thanks, Nicholas. Um, I wish I knew. I wish I had that crystal ball that everybody would like, um, and we would know what is going to be happening. Um, the thing for me, I would obviously like to see HS2, but I'd also like to see HS2 with that connectivity to North East Lincolnshire and that way on, um, so that we can, you know, capitalise on what we've been talking about today. And I'm sure that uh, you know all the recently announced government funding that's been uh, announced in just recently. I'm hoping that with the TFN's help that we can look forward to these sort of things um, to help create the transport um, to the capacity required for growth. It is all about growth at the moment and uh, so I'm looking forward to HS2 and hopefully it will come this way around where we're going to be able to take part of it and link in with the Freeport status.
1: Maggie, what's your where are we going to be? Well.
3: Uh, last Stuart, I'm no crystal ball gazer. Uh, the scheme I would like to see finished is is the Trans Pennine route upgrade. What I do think we'll see finished is private sector investments in those free ports, in those terminals. Uh, the private sector is getting on with this and it just needs government to step up and, and match.
1: Okay. Elizabeth? So, we'd
4: love, wisdom, to to see, we'd love to see Trans Pennine road and rail delivered. Um, and
5: if it, if it's not finished by then it needs to be on its way
1: They're the priority projects lucy do you
5: want to wrap up wrap up um i think the the key thing i'd like to see um like the like colleagues is the is the transparent upgrade for freight um definitely i think that's what i think you could get um more than 10,000 vehicles um a week off the m62 and and the, on that east west connectivity if you deliver that which i think is really powerful
1: well, I think that brings us. Unless the organisers want to say something, I think that brings us to the end because um, we were given an hour. Um, yeah. and it's it's all very interesting, but I think it also it's slightly um, it's 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 probably worth having this reality check then of, of all the of all the more ambitious projects where where you know truthfully the the panelists actually think we're going to be at the end of the decade, where as I say compared to other other walks of life we're going to be. You know, by then, you're, if you're going to buy a car, it's going to be an electric one. So it could be that this, the, freight, the freight business is doing a bit of catching up. But thanks for joining us. And that's over now.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed hearing from our panel there all about freight and logistics, a really, really interesting area. Um, And of course, we were speaking about freight ahead of our upcoming freight and logistics strategy, uh, which I know Lucy Hudson uh, referenced in her, um, her items during that session. So that's a really interesting area of work as well. So stay tuned for more on that. Stay tuned for the next TFN Talks as well. Make sure you are on our All Points North mailing list so that you get all the details about the upcoming events. If you head over to the website transportforthenorth.com, scroll down to the bottom of the home page there's a little box in there to put your email address in to make sure that you receive our weekly newsletter and don't forget that you can join us over on twitter as well and we'll be promoting all the upcoming tfn talks and all our other events and news and activities on there as well thanks as always for tuning in and we look forward to speaking to you very soon take care thanks for listening to the transport for the north podcast Don't forget, you can subscribe on Spotify and SoundCloud so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook for all our latest updates. And join us on our website where you can find all the latest news and sign up to our All Points North newsletter.